I know you're going to have a lot of questions for me, and I'm going to preface it with this. I'm going to answer your questions, but if you get me bent out of joint, remember, I didn't sleep good yet. It's June 17, 1983. Mahoning County Sheriff Jim Trafkin is seated at a folding table surrounded by reporters. It's the day after Trafkin was acquitted on charges of bribery and racketeering. Behind him, a large banner reads, Welcome home, Sheriff. Congratulations. I think what has happened now, yesterday, is just going to reaffirm one thing. This was not a hung jury. This was an innocent verdict. My first thought was, these jurors are all nuts. Bertram D'Souza was covering the press conference for the Youngstown Vindicator, the area's longtime paper of record. He just dominated the conversation, took very few questions, talked about the big conspiracy against him. He just beat the big bad federal government and all of this kind of stuff. I believe he was a crook. Absolutely. The government felt that they can go ahead and bring a charge and I would crawl under a rock and hide. And I just happened to throw the rock back at them and they didn't expect that. Many people in Youngstown thought the federal government had failed them. When the steel mills closed, the people here felt abandoned. They'd lost their sense of security and their dignity. They were angry. And here was Trafficant, who had just beaten the feds. Thank you for coming down. And I want to thank the people of the Valley who supported me and gave me enough moral and physical strength to face this trial. That acquittal immediately made him a hometown hero. Youngstown now has an opportunity to become the fine city that it really is. I I was standing in the back looking at this guy and I thought, this is it. He can do whatever the hell he wants to do politically. He has the whole region in the palm of his hand. And so then he ran for Congress. I'm Mark Smerling, and this is Crooked City. He was the big bad guy fighting the big bad government. I will not be pressured or threatened by anybody, and that's the situation. Unbelievable because the evidence I felt was overwhelming, but not unbelievable because it was Jim Trafficking. The prosecution shot themselves in the foot by being so mean and nasty. He won the popularity contest. I think that's the way to say it. When you think about it, if I fucking did that, he's a rubber governor. We'd be very fucking powerful. Chapter 7, America First. For the colorful and provocative Sheriff Jim Trafficking, the run for Congress seemed a daring, if not the next logical step in his career. But I honestly believe that there's a lot to be done. A lot to be done for this valley that was the number one, number one center of the United States for unemployment. Shortly after entering the race for Congress, Sheriff Jim Trafficking hit the campaign trail. He would travel around the Mahoning Valley speaking at church potlucks, union halls, anywhere where there were more than a few people congregated. 
he would see somebody in the audience and he would call that person out by name and then provide a history of that person, who his parents were, who his grandparents were, how he had met them. It's this very personal politics that people just loved. By the time Trafkin ran for office, more than 50,000 jobs had been lost in Youngstown due to the steel mills closing. And everyone was worried that the mills were never coming back. And Trafficant sort of gave voice and say, no, 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 we, we can open these huge mills again. And people wanted to believe that because they were so desperate. And they believed that Jim Trafficant was going to go to Washington and do whatever he could to bring steel back to the Mahoning Valley. Trafficant was now in the race for the Democratic primary. Don Hanai was still the boss of the Democratic machine, and he took every opportunity to remind the people of Youngstown that Trafficant was tried on charges of bribery. Trafficant was found not guilty, but obviously there are a lot of people uh, out of the 17th district who believe that that was a miscarriage of justice. And Bertram D'Souza's newspaper, The Vindicator, didn't endorse Trafficant either. And that was always a sore point for him. He knew that an endorsement from us would have given him legitimacy. If I am successful against the paper and the powers that be, the Washington bureaucracy will look to me. He was the original anti-establishment candidate. If the people want me and they want a fighter, I'll do it. If they don't, I'll go my way. The media didn't think Trafficking had much of a chance, but his message to working people was starting to land. It's the most influential endorsement Jim Trafficking has received thus far. United Auto Worker Locals 1112 and 1714, which combined are easily the largest and most powerful labor group in the valley. Like the steel mills, the other big employer in the valley, auto plants, had lost jobs to shutdowns too. Union members were furious, and Trafficant mirrored their frustrations. In our fight for survival, we've got to stop losing jobs, because without a plan, we won't go forward, and we'll put that plan together. His talent as a politician was he had his finger on the pulse of the community. Without support from the local newspaper or his party, Trafficant beat out six candidates to win the Democratic primary in a landslide. At least a dozen endorsed Democrats won in yesterday's primary election. So in terms of sheer numbers, you might say Don Hanai's Democratic political machine fared pretty well. Except for the big one, Jim Trafficant's dramatic defeat over Tom Carney in the congressional race. Now, there was just one more person in his way. The soft-spoken, pragmatic Republican incumbent, Lyle Williams. You don't have to shout or overstate your position to care. I think the Mahoney Valley... Uh, does not have to shout an overstated position to care. Trafficant, the 6'1 ex-football player, took Lyle Williams on in several debates around the valley. And Lyle, compared to Trafficant, was of a smaller stature. I participated in one of the questioners in a debate. And Trafficant embarrassed Lyle by, by mimicking him, by standing next to him, by grabbing him around the shoulders <laughs> during the debate. And... This heavily blue-collar, mostly non-college-educated population loved it. We started to do polling, and 
found that the race was very close. And some polls, Ralal was ahead and some Jim Trafficking was ahead. And I looked at the polls and I thought, okay, you know, if it's a, if it's a toss-up race, the incumbent obviously has the advantage going into the last days of an election. On election night 1984, Jim Trafficking's team gathered to wait for the vote count. This is Denny Brand reporting from the Mahoning Country Club in Trumbull County where the Jim Trafficking supporters have gathered. As you can see, the signs are up in anticipation of a big win for Congressman, possibly Congressman Jim Trafficking. The results started to come in. They announced Lyle Williams' numbers first. 13,268, Jim Trafficking. Are you ready? Come on! 18,000! Trafficking had won. Trafficking made his way toward the stage. Here's how Bertram described that moment in The Vindicator. Waves of supporters strained against the cordon of guards, clearing the way for the congressman-elect from the 17th district. Women craned their necks for a glimpse. Young girls screeched. Grandmothers cried. And men, large and small, old and young, surged forward to grasp his hand. It's been a very long campaign, very long. Many of you have given all you had to give. But now the fight is just going to start. And when I use the word fight, remember this, we're fighting for, not against, but we're gonna to continue to fight. Because without confrontation, there comes no change. And we're going to fight for something now, and that's for the improvement of our lives. If you stand tough like a junkyard dog in the face of a hurricane, we're going to go forward. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark disappeared bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. So there's a boat down there, 38-foot egg harbor, beautiful boat, wood boat, that he had bought. Newly elected Congressman Jim Trafkin lived on a boat, docked at a marina on the shores of the Potomac River in Washington, D.C. Jim was known to be kind of cheap, and he did not want to pay some exorbitant monthly. This is Anthony Trafficanti, Jim Trafkin's cousin. After Trafkin was elected to Congress, Anthony joined his congressional staff. He would often make the trip to D.C., and that meant sharing the cramped quarters of Trafficking's boat. I couldn't fit in the shower in the boat. I could not get in there. And if I did go in there, 
he would be knocking on the on the wall of the boat saying, you're running the hot water out. I says, Jim, my head's not even wet. What am I supposed to do? He says, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Just fix your hair up. He would stand there like that, sponge bath like this, spray himself down with polo cologne like this. All over his head. Put his skinny tie on, his 1970s blue jean jacket, bell bottoms and boots, and off he'd go. And he never wore any other shoes but those cowboy boots. God, he walked so much in those boots. And he would operate on one hour sleep and go all day. It is 43-year-old Jim Traficant's first visit to Washington, D.C. He's here on business as the new Democratic congressman from Ohio's 17th district, an area which includes Youngstown. On January 3, 1985, Jim Traficant began his first term as congressman. The area I represent, Youngstown, Ohio, has almost a 30% unemployment rate. It hasn't been addressed. It's going to take work, not partying, not golfing. As soon as Traficant got to the Capitol building, he went to work. House will be in order. He immediately hit the floor of the House. Time has expired. For what purpose does the gentleman from Ohio seek recognition? Traficant started taking advantage of a House rule. Any day, any representative is allowed to speak for one minute on any topic. My people need some help. Who's listening to people in Youngstown and Warren, Ohio? Who really cares? Most representatives only use the one-minute rule on occasion, but Trafkin used it almost every day to get attention for his district. I got the impression that this guy's a little crazy. This is Paul Marconi, one of Trafkin's other staffers at the time. But very, very bright, very sharp on his feet, very street savvy, unafraid. He didn't care that he was a freshman, and he was in a rush to get things done. My area lost more jobs than anybody else in the country. And every time the Appropriation Committee looks at something on my side of the avenue, they just don't have the money. I have poor people, I need housing. I lost 55,000 jobs in the last 10 years, and no one down here really cares. And there's this bombastic guy coming to the house floor just saying what's on his mind and telling it like it is. They feel that our government has failed them, Tell you the truth, I do too. He was the voice of the forgotten people. Mr. Speaker, over the past 10 years, the working poor had a pledge. It goes like this. I dredge allegiance to the minimum wage and all the hardships and misery for which it stands. No raises under Reagan with food stamps and welfare for all. Trafkin made the federal government his first target. In his view, they failed to protect American workers, which benefited other countries. With the American steel industry in decline, the Japanese steel industry was on the rise, so Trafficking made the Japanese his second target. Our soldiers won the war, but ladies and gentlemen, Congress is letting Japan win the peace, and all of these other European nations who keep our products out, laugh in our face, and are now buying up our country. You know, one of his big sayings that I used to cringe when he said it, when he's talking about Japan and trade policy, is before you know it, the day will come when America's cash crops will not be soybeans and wheat and corn. It'll be rice, and we'll have a rice patty on the east lawn of the White House. So I thought, Jim, it's kind of racist. He goes, yeah, that's not racist. It's a great line, and it gets good media attention. 
Then Paul noticed that Trafficking's ideas started taking hold with people way beyond Youngstown. Whenever he made a one-minute speech, we would do a 10-second countdown in our office, and then our phones would start to light up. So you'd have people from all over the country uh, calling in. 95% were positive. Mr. Trafficant, amen, amen, amen. I think you were just right on. He had a national following. Thank you for the job you're doing. I only wish that I could vote for you. I think you are simply the greatest human being. You tell it like it is, just like it should be. He was the guy who was going to go like this to the establishment. And he understood that that's where he derived his popularity, was by sticking it to the man. Mr. Trafficant, there's people like you that uh, speak the truth has made this country great. When he would walk to the floor of the house, the janitors and the Capitol Hill police officers, they would high-five him. Hey, Traff, go get him today. When American workers are serving Mexican tomatoes and Canadian beef at Burger King's and Bob Evans, something's very wrong. To grow his support nationally, Trafficant broadened his message to the working man and found another target. Our borders are wide open. If you're in the country illegally, we should throw you out. I commend you for what you're saying. What you're saying is absolutely true. I think it is time to put our military troops on our borders. I salute you for your integrity and uh, putting America first. We're putting up a neon sign blinking all over the world. Come on and run in. Run in illegally and we'll make you a citizen. Beam me up here. And he always said, beam me up. That was his thing when he was trying to make his point. Remember Star Trek? Beam me up. Beam me up. Beam me up, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I was Captain Kirk, but Jim always said that on the floor of the house. There's no intelligent life form exists on this planet. Beam me up. There's no intelligent life left here. Beam me up. I have on one side of my truck, it says, beam me up. You hit the nail on the head on a lot of issues. Don't ever change. Keep up the good work. Every election, Trafficant would win with higher and higher margins. In some races, he won with over 90% of the vote. The country is just ready for an independent leader, and that's why we think you're so refreshing. In fact, I sure hope you consider running for president someday. In 1988, he actually did make a brief run for president. He was unsuccessful, but his campaign posters featured a now familiar motto. Let's take care of our country. Let's use some common sense and put America first. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. 
In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Congressman Jim Traffigan's speeches on the House floor had made him a celebrity, and his message ensured his re-election four times. And during his years in Congress, he got some things done. He raised funding for projects in Youngstown, like a new federal courthouse and he earned a reputation as a politician who voted his conscience and fought for working people. He saw Republican President Ronald Reagan leave the White House and George H.W. Bush move in. And then, in 1992, a charismatic governor from Arkansas by the name of Bill Clinton was running. And if he was elected, Traffickant would have a fellow Democrat in the White House for the first time. We're going to carry Ohio for the next president of the United States. On a hot August afternoon, the Clinton campaign held an event outside a mall in Youngstown. Traffickin helped organize it. On stage, Traffickin stood in front of a sea of people and introduced the first speaker, Clinton's running mate. Ladies and gentlemen, the next vice president of the United States of America, Senator Al Gore. Thank you. Traffickin stepped back from the mic. What a crowd here! What a crowd! Thank you. I want to thank your congressman, James Traficant. You talk about a fighter for average working families. James Traficant is a fighter, a battler, and a winner. As Gore spoke, Traficant went to sit behind Clinton. Then he started to lean over and whisper in Clinton's ear. And so I present to you the next president of the United States of America, Bill Clinton. You see, Traffigant wasn't going to deliver Youngstown votes for free. He wanted something from Clinton in return. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to be here with Jim Traficant. Now, if you don't know it, he's reasonably famous outside this district as a guy who stands up and fights for the concerns of average working people. I want you to know what he was doing while Al Gore and Bill Bradley were speaking. He said, listen, you're going to win this election and we've got an application in to get part of the Defense Department's finance operations here. And I want you to help us. At that time, the Department of Defense was looking to build a huge facility somewhere in the country. It was called the Defense Finance Accounting Service, or DFAS, and it would house all the military's finance operations, and it would employ thousands of people. Traffickin wanted those jobs for Youngstown. But he didn't ask for anything unfair. He said, all I want you to tell me is, if we put in the best application, we'll get the jobs. And I said, you got a deal, Jim. That's a good idea. (laughs) 
That day, everybody was friends on stage. Hugs and handshakes all around. And we all know Clinton won the election. And he won Ohio, too. But Clinton didn't follow through on his promise to award Youngstown the DFAS Center. Well, the president made some commitments to my region through the campaign. He made a commitment on a DFAS Center to the Mahoning Valley, and he has not lived up to it. That center ended up going to a different district. And Trafficking is furious. This is Paul Marconi again. By that time, he was Trafficking's chief of staff. So he reaches out to the White House, and the White House says, well, we're going to send someone from the Pentagon to talk to you. Clinton sent his deputy secretary of defense, John Deutsch. I'm in Trafficking's office, and Deutsch is waiting in our lobby. And Trafficking looks at me and says, watch this. Trafficking turns to the Deutsch's staffer, and he points to him and says, you get the fuck out. I just want to meet with the undersecretary. The Deutsch sits down. So he looks at him and screams at the top of his lung, Deutsch, you fucked me up the ass. Deutsch turns white as a ghost. <laughs> Probably no one has ever talked to him that way. And he goes, do I have to play the tape for you where Clinton promised my district that they would get a defense center? Promise mean anything? It, where I come from, it means something. What are you going to do about it? Deutsch did not know what to say. And um, the trafficking goes to me, Paul, what do you think? And I said, we do have an Air Force Reserve base. For years, an Air Force base outside of Youngstown had been languishing, and now it was on the verge of being shut down. Here was an opportunity. Joyce says, well, let me, let me talk to my people. So he goes, Congressman, I'm very sorry that this happened. Let me see what I can do. And he leaves. Later that night, Trafficant was in his office with his cousin and staffer, Anthony Trafficanti. Two o'clock in the morning, and that phone rings, a special line that they have. And uh, Jim was sleeping. He, oh, go ahead, answer it, Anthony. So I picked the phone up. And I heard... Helicopter. Bill Clinton's chief of staff was on the presidential helicopter. He said, I have wonderful news for the congressman. How do I get a hold of him? And I put Jim on the phone. He gets up, had his shorts on and his boots. Congressman, I need to tell you this. The president wants to give you whatever you need for that air base up to $100 million. I'm getting goosebumps right now because I thought the air base would be gone. It's the largest employer in the area, one of them. That's why the air base is where it is today. Jim Trafkin learned to be tough in Youngstown. As a candidate for sheriff, he went toe-to-toe with mobsters and came away with their money. And in Congress, he was using what he had learned to get what he wanted. That's how this guy operated. He was damn good at it. Was it the best way to do it? I don't know, but there was a shock value to that. Paul Marconi again. I don't think there was anyone better who ever served in the House of Representatives in bringing home the bacon who was not a powerful chairman. I don't think there was anyone more effective in bringing federal dollars back to the district than Jim Trafficant was. Jim Trafficant is, to say the least, eccentric. He sleeps on his boat, but lives in his office. His haircut is out of Captain Kangaroo. His clothes out of a 1960s secondhand store. His favorite material, polyester. His favorite style, bell bottoms and skinny ties. This is Morley Safer of 60 Minutes. Trafficant was invited on the show for an interview. Each member of the House chooses to make his mark in his own particular way. 
And I've chosen to do it by aggravating the hell out of everybody. Because no one else and nothing else seems to work. With all his success, Trafficking couldn't escape his past. It always came up in interviews like this. In 1982, the FBI took him in handcuffs to federal court, where he was charged with accepting bribes from local mobsters to finance his campaign for sheriff. He was acquitted. But his troubles weren't over. What Safer is talking about is something that happened not long after Trafficking was elected to Congress. Even though he'd been acquitted of bribery charges, the IRS took Trafficking to court for the back taxes he owed on the money he took from the mob. How can you hold a man who's been acquitted of a criminal act and then bring a bribe back to be the focus of a tax trial when a jury of peers has acquitted him of the criminal act of bribery? No, it's a good point. What did the judge say? What do you think the judge was going to say? The judge said guilty. This time, no tearful jurors, just a federal judge, and he lost. It is now on the record that you took bribes. No, you it's took not. mob money. There is a shadow over the name Jim Trafficking. Does that bother you? I don't fear the shadow. I know that politically that shadow will limit me. Mine isn't a bull facade, chrome and polish existence. I went down in the streets. I went right to the bowels and I saw the cancer. Yeah, and I threw myself in it. And if you slop around in you stink. And I might stink a little bit, but I understand it. And I don't want any do-good in three-piece suits with all of their holier-than-thou bullshit banging on me. The question of Jim Trafficking's mob affiliations dogged him his entire career. The problem was he couldn't shake his roots. This is reporter Bertram D'Souza again. And he hadn't forgotten about Trafficking's past criminal dealings either. So he started to ask questions around Youngstown, especially about people on Trafficking's staff, some of whom had ties to organized crime. Then we'd write about them and we'd question, you know, what the hell is this? Who are these people? Why is he holding on to them? In one article, Bertram wrote about a guy named Chuck Onesti. Onesti had been targeted by the feds as a bagman for the mob, a go-between who arranged bribes for public officials. Chuck Onesti was his chief of staff. There was no effort to hide these people. Bertram raised the issue in the newspaper, questioning why Onesti wasn't, quote, removed from the public payroll. Trafficking, of course, didn't appreciate that. So one day he went to the Vindicator offices to talk to Bertram. He barged in and walked up to the front desk. Trafficking says, you know, where's, where's D'Souza? He never called me by my first name. He says, tell him I'm here. So I went down, sir. And Trafficking looked at me and said, yeah, you're still writing lies about me and went to this whole stuff and all of that. And then he grabs me and pulls me towards him and he says, you know, I don't care if you ever like me, but one of these days you're going to respect me. And I looked at him and I said, Congressman, you have to earn respect. And I said, why are you surrounding yourself with all of these creeps? And he said, because I'm loyal to my friends. And because Trafficking was from Youngstown, Ohio, he had friends who were associated with the mob. That was the Youngstown way. You do things for friends, even if it's legally questionable. If you were applying for a federal job like the different federal prisons in town, I'd get a cover letter off Trafficking through Onesti. This is Frankie Suzani, the thief who worked with Joey Naples and his crew from the last episode. 
just here, give the name, we'll give you a cover letter. And there's a recommendation from the district congressman. And if you happen to be a guy like Frankie and you end up in prison... Hell, he wrote a letter to our parole board for me. He didn't care. He didn't care if you were a felon. He was like a guy's guy. That's what trafficking was. Or Phil Christopher, the guy called in to kill Cleveland faction hitman Joe DeRose. What did you hear about James trafficking? Did you ever hear anything about Oh, him? yeah. I, yeah I, I, I had a deal with him because my brother got jammed up selling some drugs, and I tried to get him out early through trafficking. Joey Naples went to trafficking for me. But you knew that trafficking was for sale? Oh, yeah. That was his problem, that he never realized that the people he was surrounding himself with, their grime was rubbing off on him. These people are always trying to work an angle, and corruption is in this region's DNA. And so you have this valley mentality that was taken to Washington. And at some point, he was going to slip up. On the next episode of Crooked City, mobster Joey Naples takes over the rackets in Youngstown. Joey was a type of guy that buried two of his brothers. He was ruthless. And Joey finds that his competition is ruthless, too. Any place I wanted to get you, I could kill you if I want to kill you. Crooked City is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Sony Music Entertainment. The show is produced by Catherine Sullivan, Zach St. Louis, Alexa Burke, and Olivia Briley. Ryan Swikert is our senior producer. Story editing is by me, Mark Smerling, and Ryan Swikert. Kevin Shepard is our associate producer. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Johnny Ciccatelli, our local producer in Youngstown. Fact-checking by Donia Suleiman. Michael Blumenfeld did the mix. Sound design by Michael Blumenfeld and Zach St. Louis. Music by Marmoset and Universal Production Music. Our title track is Hurricane Heart Attack by The Warlocks. Continue the conversation with us online by tweeting at Crooked City Pod. That's at Crooked City Pod. If you've enjoyed Crooked City, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. And thanks for listening.